Um, so this week, I was watching a lot of videos like that this week. Um, and every time I watched a video like that, and I settled on this one, um, by the way, it's the trailer to Planet Earth 2, if you uh, know copyright stuff, I'm not trying to steal it, it's theirs. But as I watched it, I realized that our world is simply an amazing place, right? I was struck with awe and just wonder, while at the same time, I was in utter disbelief. And there was disbelief for two very distinct reasons. One, because I couldn't believe that someone was actually close enough at the right place and the right time to capture all of that. Right? They were so close. They were like literally walking with the Komodo dragon and, and, and you know, walking with big old elephants and just, just close enough with their video camera. And in Haiti, I was like a videographer, and trust me, it's really hard work. And in order for you to get those shots, I mean, I, they have a lot better equipment than I do, but it's really difficult. But the second thing that I was in disbelief is that these things, they're super fascinating to me, but they happen every single day for these animals. They're not new or awesome or fascinating to those animals or to God who created it all. It's only because I don't get to see it that it is awestruck and amazing to me. To God who created it all, it is normal. But it won't ever be normal to me because most likely in my lifetime, I won't ever have the opportunity to see 95% of what I just saw on the video with my own two eyes. And so as I was think, sitting through that and kind of feeling through these, it made me think something like this. And I found this on uh, Google, but there's a picture of it. And hopefully I'll just read it to you. But it says, it says, there are 7 billion people on this planet. It'll come up. There it is. Who I have not met. There are 7 billion people on this planet who I have not met. In 195 countries I have not visited. I don't know if that's correct. Don't hold me to that. Yet I am stuck in this insignificant place being pressured into making decisions about my future when I barely even know who I am. And maybe you've felt this before, right? You see something like that and you're totally awestruck, breathtaking awe, right? Where a sense of excitement and joy, it overwhelms you. But almost at the exact same time, this overwhelming sense of smallness and insignificance just kind of envelops you, sucks you in because you realize, man, this world is so big and I'm just so tiny, a mere speck in the vastness of it all. And then you ask yourself, like, why do I feel this way? Why do we all feel this way, right? And I know we love to think that we're in control. I know we love to think that we influence a ton, so many things, that we are so great. But there are moments in life that reminds you, and you realize that there's so much that I have not seen, so much that I do not know, and therefore so much that I simply cannot control. And what's happening in those moments as you're thinking through these things is you are having what's called an existential crisis, which is a very fancy way of saying it's a moment when someone questions their life, questions its meaning, what it means to be human, if life has a purpose. It's asking questions like, who am I? Do I even belong? What's the point of all of this? Am I important? Do I matter? And this, perhaps, these questions, this existential crisis of who we are and whether we belong or matter is perhaps one of the most pondered questions in all of human history. I think every human being that has been alive on this earth for more than two or three days, I think, has thought to themselves at some point, who am I? Do I matter? Does it mean anything? Do I actually mean anything to the world? And we wonder it again and again and again and again at different points. 
Now, if you haven't pondered this question for yourself, don't worry, you will one day. But it seems everybody falls within this spectrum, whether you've pondered it once or twice at, at very specific moments in your life, or whether you're someone who ponders it almost every single day, somewhere in the middle is where you and I fall. But no matter where you are, and let me be honest, I was in the close to every day, who in the world am I, do I matter, does it mean anything kind of a person, no matter where you fall in that spectrum, I have great news for you. Because the psalm that we're going to read today not only asks that all-important existential crisis question, but of course, because God is who he is, the psalm gives an answer. So if you're following, this psalm that we'll read today, Psalm 8, that we'll read in a second, not only asks one of the, or maybe the most important question to all humanity, but then it gives a very distinct and I think profound answer. Who am I? Do I matter? Does it all make a difference? So today, we're, our task, I think, is to answer this question in view of what God is doing. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Psalm chapter 8. As always, the words will be on the screen before you if you do not have it. And for the sake of time, again, I will read it. We will get back to where I am no longer the person reading the scripture, but for a little bit, we will do so. Psalm chapter 8. And as always, when you see the capital L-O-R-D, I will read Yahweh, because in Hebrew, it is God's divine name of Yahweh. So don't be alarmed if you hear that. Psalm 8. O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens, and from the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you've established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. And so when I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? You've made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with the glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, the sheep, all oxen, sheep, uh, beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the path of the seas. O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Pray with me. Father, we give you thanks this morning. O Yahweh, Yeshua, Lord Jesus, how majestic is your name in all the earth. For the moon and the stars, they cried out. For the tigers and the elephants, the hummingbirds, the monkeys, they all cried out. For the mountains and the hillsides and the streams, they cried out. And indeed, who are we that you would be mindful of us and care for us? Help us, O oh Lord, to see you and in return, and in view of you, see us all the more, and have life, and life to the full, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, at first glance, when you read, something should have jumped out at you, or at least it did to me, okay? Did anyone catch it? Something should have jumped out at you immediately. You were like, ooh, that's interesting. Anything? And Hannah, you can't answer, or the praise team, because you already know the answer. Anyone? Did you read it? Just kidding. At first glance, the thing that should have jumped out at you is that the first and the last verses are identical. O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
And anytime you find this in Scripture, we've gone over this in Revelation if you're here, right? Anytime you're reading a, a section of Scripture and you find that the first and the last are the exact same thing, it should signal to you that most likely what you have is this very fancy term called what, Hannah Huang? Chiastic structure, right? It means, and chiastic structure is basically this, it means that the ends are parallel and everything in between are parallel and it leads to the middle line, which is the central point. And I have a slide for you and you can see it. It's basically outlined like this, okay? The first, and verse 9 and first, uh, verse 1 is, O Lord, our Lord, O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The central point is verses 4 through 5 that basically asks this question, What is man that you are mindful of and the son of man that you care for him? Okay? And the verses above and below kind of signals to the things that are interestingly above humans, heavens, enemies, the moons, and the stars. And by the way, in the Bible, whenever you hear the word enemies, we're talking about Satan, we're talking about evil beings, Leviathan, beasts of the sea, and all these cool mystical creatures. We think the Bible is boring, but it's not. And then in 6 through 8, it interestingly talks about everything that's under who we are, sheep, oxen, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, everything that God gave us, right, dominion over. And he says that we rule them. Now, interestingly, though, as I said, the center point, the main focus, then, of a chiastic structure in this less-than-sign V thing right in the middle is the middle point. And the middle point reads like this. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? God, when I look at the stars, when I look at the heavens, when I look at the vastness of creation and everything in it, it makes me wonder, who am I that I matter to you? That you, God, who made it all by speaking, would make me number one amongst all of this and secondly, care about me. And it makes you wonder, how is that even possible? How can it be? Right? But it gets better. Not only does the person ask that we are the center point, understand that we are the center point of this entire creation, it says in verse 5 that yet you have made him, that's us, you've made him, us, a little lower than the heavenly beings, than God, the divine people, God and angels and his divinely fleet, and you've crowned him and given glory and honor to us all. Wait. Us? Me? You? a little lower, just a tiny bit lower than God and his heavenly beings? Wait, us, you, me, crowned with glory and honor and majesty, just as God is crowned with glory, honor, and majesty? Wait, us, you, me, authority and dominion over all the things that God has made, everything God has made under my feet in my rule? Yes, it says. Everything. Now, if you're like me, you ask, how can that be? Like, it, it can't possibly be, right? Like, it can't be, right? And the different situations that you face in life, there are moments where you say things like this. I can't possibly be in charge of all this. I can't possibly be asked to do this. I ask this question almost every single day of my entire life because I get to preach God's word to you and hope that I get to play a part in your eternal destiny. I ask myself, who in the world am I that I get to do this very thing that you've called me to? And maybe you've asked that question. Who am I in all of this? Why do I matter? 
But again, the chiastic structure of the psalm shows us that we are the center. We are the focal point. We are the main thing. The psalm is founded on the glory of God in verse 1 and 9, but we are the center. And even more interestingly, though, we need to dig deeper. That though we are the center, if you look at the verbs of the psalms, then you see a very interesting picture. And if you've, been with us for, if you've been with me for a little while, you know that when you read the Bible, you want to look at structure, you want to look at these literary devices like a nerd that I am, but you also want to look at the verbs, because the verbs of a text, literary analysis, if you're going to take SATs, you should pay attention. If the verbs of a text show you who's doing the action, who's got the power, who's moving the thing along. And interestingly, if you study the psalm, all the verbs except one belong to God. And let me show you. There's a slide there, Patrick. Displayed your splendor, that's God, verse 1. Established strength from the mouth of babes, verse 2, that's God. God ordains the moon and the stars, verse 3. God thinks of us, verse 4. He cares for us, verse 5. He makes us a little lower than him, verse 6. And he puts all things under our feet, in verse 6. Though we are the center of it all, God is the one who's doing everything. Everything is being done, has been done, and will be done by God, except one thing. Verse 3, when I... Consider, the psalmist said. Or in Hebrew, that word is better translated as see. When I see, or when I gaze, when I watch that film. And all of this, if you're kind of following along, it's kind of funny. Why? Because though I and though we, and we ask this question to whom nobody's been able to give an answer, who am I, do I matter, do I, do I, like, does this actually do anything? When we look at it and it, thinks, and it seems that we are, interestingly, it's God who does everything. And the only thing we do is we see. And maybe you're like me, and at this point you're saying, Pastor, Pete, bad news. You said that what we do matters, that we are important, that we have status and identity and authority. But let's be real. We're not even doing nothing. We're just looking. We're just gazing. I mean, we're not really doing anything. Sorry, pastor, but everybody else is right, and I've known it the whole time. I really don't matter much in the grand scheme of things. But hold on. Just one second before we get there. I want to focus on verse 2. Now, verse 2, interestingly, stuck randomly, like so random it seems out of place random, says this. Right in the middle of all this, it says, from the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you've established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful siege. You can leave that up there for a second. Just from the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you've established strength, basically to make God's enemies cease. Interestingly, here's a psalmist gazing at the glory of God and all of how amazing it is and then wondering how he can matter in doing all these things, but randomly right in the middle of all that, he throws in this really weird phrase about enemies, infants, strength, and babes, and in, just, just weird, right? And you go, wait, 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 what is that? Seems weird, but maybe not so much. Now, if you were here with us when we studied Revelation, the reason why this is not so weird is because we understood in Revelation that in the world we live in, there's enemies out there. There's, there's, there's cosmic forces, the dragon and such, that are out there trying to make our lives miserable, in which the lamb and Jesus comes in and indeed does his thing, right? So the dragon is on the loose. Say hello to my little friend, remember? Now, basically, 
until Jesus comes again and brings the new heaven and the new earth down to where we are, there's going to be this battle going on. Basically, whenever God's creation is at hand, God is ruling and he has rulers with him and all these things, there will always be enemies. It is the way it is. It's a reality check for us. But the most interesting thing about this is that though there's enemies and we're fighting the enemies all the time, we're battling them all the time and we've realized this, that in this psalm, the psalmist, the writer, says and declares that there's no battle. It says the battle just is no longer. It says it stops. It ceases. It is no more. But more interesting when you study it is how the battle between the enemies and the cosmic forces, it stops. It says from the mouth of infants and nursing babes, strength is established to make the enemy cease. Basically, from the noises and the sounds and utterances that infants and nursing babies make, the psalmist says, imagine Kara at like six months, my youngest, okay? The enemies of God and the enemies, the leviathans, the beasts, and all these things, it stops. That what the babes and the infants utter keeps the enemies at bay from doing anything to us. And this is super odd, at least for me and for the parents in the room. Because I know what comes from the mouth of infants and nursing babes. You got the parents, they're smirking in the back. And it ain't good. I mean, they cry 90% of the time. They throw up more than they smile and giggle. And let's be real. I have a hard time imagining, realistically, that what comes out of a baby's mouth is going to stop the enemy or anything for that matter because what comes out of the mouth of babes is the enemy. Let's be real, right? Stop throwing up. Stop crying. Just stop. Just, just pacifier. You don't want to use this word, but in your mind, shut up. So how is it then that what comes out of their mouth makes the enemies of God cease? The beasts, the monsters, the leviathans, the dragons cease. What's going on? And you might be asking, Pastor, I think you're trying to play a mind trick on us. You've gotten us so far away from the question that maybe we're confused and we won't be following along. What does this have to do with the question at the beginning that who we are, that what we do matters? Well, let's go back to the structure, okay? And there's a reason for the structure. Almost every commentator, every smart person who studies this thing comments and uh, recognizes that the psalm is built on, founded upon the glory of who God is. It's why the first and the last verse says, O Lord, our Yahweh, how majestic you are. The prayer begins and ends with this. It's founded on this. Humanity is at the center. It may be the focal point, but everything comes and is founded, right? And it makes sense. Maybe that's why God is doing all the acting, except for seeing and considering, right? God is doing everything. It's founded on the glory. Everything kind of points to him, even though we seem to be at the center, God does all things except the one thing, which is to see. But unfortunately, or fortunately for you, I kind of lied. Because that's not the only thing that we do. Because the one other thing that God does not do in this psalm, you find in verse 1 and 9. Look at it. O Yahweh our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. If you're understanding the phrase, it's someone declaring that God is awesome. But who is that someone? 
But someone who declares that God is awesome isn't God. Why? Because then he would have said, I, the Lord, your God, I am freaking awesome, and my name is freaking awesome, and you should worship me. But that's not the tense. It's not the literature. It's not how it is. Who declares it? We do. Did you catch that? The psalmist, the writer, we, humanity declares that God is the most glorious and amazing thing that we've ever seen. It's why it's his hands, his stars, his moon, the beauty of his creation. That when we see the beauty of God's creation, we declare that God is good. It's basically when a little child sees something awesome and says, Daddy, look what I found. Papa, see what I can do. Daddy, come look at what I made. Come look at this cool thing that I found that I learned today. It's John 4, the woman at the well who sees Jesus and is transformed by her and says, come and see a man. See, if you and I see something amazing, anything, whether it's in person, online, in a video, or whatever, the immediate reaction is we find someone that we like and then we tell them that they have to see what we just saw because what I just saw, I cannot freaking believe. It's why we have things like viral videos. Someone sees it and they go, oh my gosh, you have to see this. And they declare that it's great. So let's put it all together, okay? The outer framework upon which the psalm is founded is the glory of God declared by his people. Right? Cool on that? The glory of God in this psalm is not God saying he's great, but it's us saying he's great. And then right after us, humanity, humans, psalmists, we declare that God is great, he then realizes that the thing that keeps enemies at bay, the thing that stops the enemies, is the utterance of babes and infants. If you're putting the pictures together, what he's saying is it does not matter whether you're an infant, a babe, an adult, whether you're articulate, whether you're mumbling, whether you're stupid, smart, beautiful, it doesn't matter who you are. The praise that the God, that the people give God is the thing that makes the enemies cease and makes life happen. Consider this quote. Even the mumbled praise of human babes, no less than the fully articulate praise of human adults, constitute the bulwark. It's basically this uh, battle term, right? This bulwark put up against evil. See, not only professional temple singers, but also little children participate in the duty and privilege of all humanity in declaring God's praise. Babes and infants defeat the enemy and make real God's orderly reign on earth. Who are you? Who am I? Who are we? We're the rulers who utter the praise and glory of God that keeps the enemies at bay and says, shut up, sit down, you have no place in here, get out. We are God's stand-ins to whom all things are under our care and rule. We are God's understudies who are able to do all that God is able to do here. You might be thinking, Pastor, that's big praise for such insignificant people. No? But maybe you need to think, how dare anyone call you insignificant? How dare anyone 
including you, when you look at yourself in the mirror every single day, say that you are anything less than a little ruler, just a tiny bit lower than God who has authority and dominion over everything and who has the power within us to make the enemy cease so that life can go around. And if God says it, then I don't care who else says anything else. It is indeed true. It doesn't matter whether you're in middle school, high school, college, young adult parent. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're a two-year-old, a one-year-old, an infant. It does not matter who you are. God will do his work as long as we declare, oh Yahweh, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Do you believe it? Now there's one more question that we have to address before we finish. Pastor Pete, cool. I like that. Makes me feel good inside. But why is it that, that when I look into the skies, and if I ever get to see the stars, or the moon, or if I see God's beauty, why is it that though I feel excited, I always feel so small and insignificant? I thought you said that I wasn't small and insignificant. Shouldn't I feel great and awesome and mighty like the ruler that I am? And if I feel so insignificant, how is it that God says I'm not? Well, this is where the gospel comes in. Because you and I know that being a ruler, having dominion, making enemies cease isn't dependent on who you and I are or the type of person that you and I are. It doesn't matter how wise we are, how beautiful we are, how strong we are, how tall we are, how majestic we are, or whatever. All it matters is that you are simply you. One created in the image of Yahweh, God Almighty. See, everyone else will tell you, you gotta be better. You gotta be stronger. You gotta be smarter. You gotta have more experience. You gotta have this. You gotta have this degree. You gotta have that. You gotta have this. Build it all up. And when you do, you'll finally be ready for whatever it is that you are being called to. But let's be real. No matter how many degrees you have, no matter how strong you are, no matter how smart you think you may be, no matter how much money you've got in your bank account, no matter how big your house is or fast your car is, are you bigger than the earth? in which you live? Are you bigger than the forces of nature upon which God has created? No matter how much of the things we think are important and great, there are moments in your life where you realize you, though you have a lot and have accomplished a lot and have all these things, are still really small and insignificant. And that's why God tells you, you can be a nursing infant, you can be a nothing, you can be anything, but as long as you are a creation of God who sees that you are created by God and who sees who God is and declares that he is way bigger and greater than you, that's what makes you a ruler. It's why Jesus comes. That's why he tells you that being poor and little and insignificant is blessed. Why? Because then you love, then you realize that God loves you simply because he does, not because of anything you've done or you can do or you will do. 
And then God says, as long as you recognize that I am God and that you are mine, then you are just a little bit lower than me. You're seeing what this means? You are. Not you will be, or you might be, or you should be, or you can be. You simply are a little lower than God, a little ruler. And God says that he makes you this way. Don't you let anyone ever tell you otherwise. You can tell them to kick rocks because it's not the truth. He says, then take hope, take courage, stand steadfast, remain in this. It means that then, as a ruler, we are to take care of others, the earth, the world, and everything in it. It is our calling. You are a little ruler. You have power in this world. But here's the third thing, and maybe the most important thing it means. It means that you are, I am, we are clearly insignificant in comparison to God. But don't let anyone tell you that this is a bad thing because it's a great thing. Because being little, being small, is the thing that allows God to move in you. See, the harder you try to prop yourself up, the harder you try to stand on your own strength, the less God can and will do in you. There's a glory in knowing that you are protected, knowing you are surrounded, knowing you are strengthened. You are buoyed by a power and a love that's greater than anything that I've got in my back pocket. It's why Kara, my very youngest, my two-year-old, loves to jump into my arms when I come home and says, Appa, I love you. And then she puts her head right here. And then Haimani will come next to her and will try to get her attention. And she basically says, you can go away because you don't matter anymore. Why? Because I'm in daddy's arms. You can't touch me, bro. Because I'm surrounded by God's arms. I am mighty and bigger than you. But Kara isn't big and strong on her own. She's big because she has my strength, my height, my whatever. And the beauty of it is, is she's not fretting whether it's her power or my power. She just knows that when she's right here, it's our power. I'm invincible, she says. You can't touch me. But inevitably, as we get bigger, stronger, smarter, and wiser, they say, we no longer want to be held. We no longer want to be in the arms of our Father. And then you hit a stage when you get older, past that, and then you realize, I wish I could just go back to the days when my daddy would just hold me and love me. It's why we are little rulers, and therefore insignificantly powerful. The only thing that's waiting is for you and I to recognize it. That God is great, and I'm not. But his greatness is my greatness when I realize I'm not. That Jesus who comes down, who defeats the grave and does all the things that he needs to do makes me who I am, not because I did anything, but because I believe that he did everything, and what he did is mine. 
I'm in his arms, can't touch me, bro. So what are you waiting for? What are you scared of? What makes you hide? What makes you waver? Because there's no other God like this. And if you will not allow him to move in you, you're going to be waiting a long time until he does because he's saying, I, the Lord your God, will allow you to be a little ruler as long as your mouth is praising the fact that I am Yahweh, whose name is great in all the earth. So we're going to finish with the time of worship. Before we do, I want to give you a time to respond. Because I think all of you have at one point, maybe yesterday, maybe this morning, asked, God, who am I? Why do I have this responsibility? Why is it so hard? Why does it seem like nothing I do matters? And maybe the reason is because you are too scared of what everyone else says rather than listening to what God is telling you that you, though you are so small in his arms, you are great. And all you got to do is say, Daddy, take me. Have me. So what's standing in the way? What's getting in the way? What's blocking your brain and your heart and your soul from declaring with everything you have that the moon and the stars cry out, the galaxies cry out that he's great? And let me tell you, when you finally declare with everything you have that God is great and I am nothing, but because of him, I am great. Just wait and see what he does. Little rulers, upon whom all dominion of everything under has been given, will you declare the name of this great God who defeats everything and says, all you must do is to declare my greatness and my glory in all the earth, and you shall be just a little under me forever, now, in eternity. Will you pray? Take some time. How does that feel? What is that saying to you? So take a time for yourself to pray reflect, ask these questions, respond, and then we'll sing and worship and praise him when you're ready. You can join me.